From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. Each episode, our special guest will bring with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. February is Women in Horror Month, and in honor of that, we wanted to use this month to highlight women working in the horror industry, from directors to actors to writers. This week, our special guest is Chelsea Stardust. The director of numerous short films, Chelsea has also worked on movies by Judd Apatow and, of course, Blumhouse. Last year, she directed her first two feature films, Fangoria's Satanic Panic and the Hulu Into the Dark episode, All That We Destroy. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, Chelsea. Yay. Thank you so much for having me. What a great intro. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, um, I'm so excited to talk to you because I saw Satanic Panic at Apocalypse in Chicago. And I think I actually walked past you and got starstruck oh. and couldn't say hi because I didn't know what to say. <laughs> Oh, and so no. I stumbled my way back to my seat, and I was like, I think that was Chelsea's daughter. Um, <laughs> you should have said hello. Like a giant dork. And you're also in the middle of a conversation. I was. It was like the awkward thing where you think, like, you're like, I really want to say hi, but I don't want to be weird. So then I ran away. 
like an like the grown ass adult I am. But um, I saw Satanic Panic on like a big screen at Cinepocalypse with like a packed audience. It felt I think, and it was just like such a fun movie. I just like I'm so excited to talk to you about it and into the um the the um all that we destroy episode. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, that was a really fun screening that was like right in the middle of all the festival craziness. I feel like I was traveling all of 2018 to all the festivals. But I think that was the first screening where I didn't have a lot of people in the audience that I knew because I mean, yeah, my parents came in and I had like one or two friends that were there as well, but it was a pretty virgin audience in that sense. So it was it was a really good gauge for me to see sort of how the movie played um, cool. with, you know, w- with basically like pure um, horror and cinema lovers. So and I was really happy with the uh, how that screening went. And I loved that festival. It was so fun. And I saw some great movies there. So but you should have come to say hi. <laughs> I know I was dumb. It was I was like my first festival covering it as like a critic with press accreditation. And I was like such a noob. And I was so nervous. I think <laughs> now I know like for the future, like don't be so nervous all the time. But anyway, <laughs> it's I get nervous to, like going up to people sometimes too. Like I still get I try to play it really cool, but I still get starstruck occasionally so like um, it's like I know you're a real like you're you're just another person like me but it just and I don't want to be like annoying or or like (laughs) I don't know it's just it's too much I mean had too much about it yeah I mean I'm I'm introverted too and I it happened to me at at Telluride where like I Issa Mazze was there and I saw her and I was like I really want to say hi but I I can't so (laughs) I completely understand that yeah I think I think it's like it's something where I I had an opportunity once to say um, to to say hello to Wes Craven, and oh I I didn't the op- the opportunity was there, but I should have pushed harder for it. I was like he was almost across from me, but I was talking to a friend, and that he had come with that friend, and I'm like I should have just asked him to introduce oh, wow. me, and I really regret not doing that now that unfortunately he's no longer with us. Um, yeah. So, you know, even if it was just to say, like, hello and, you know, thank you. Like, you know, I'm a film. One of the reasons I'm a horror filmmaker is because of you, though, which I'm sure he's heard a hundred times. But just to let him know that his work has made a, such a difference to me in my life. I wish I wish I could have had the chance to to say that to him. So since then, I make a point to just go up and say, I like, don't give a fuck and go up and say hello. I, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear or not. Yes, um, you are. But, OK. <laughs> oh, yes. But, um, I've, but it has taken a little bit of me building up my courage to to do that. Um, but that was sort of the lesson I learned uh, with with that on a kind of different scenario. But I've decided I was like, oh, you know what, I'm going to do it. Um, that being said, we will meet soon enough. <laughs> we will. We will. Um, oh man. Uh, so bef- before we get into like uh, your the horror in your in your career, I have to ask. You recently tweeted that you raised sled dogs until you were 17. If you uh, don't mind me asking, did you grow up in Alaska? <laughs> um, I did not. But, okay. Um, Darn. Uh, I lived in Alaska. <laughs> so I was like, oh, gosh, is she an Alaska person? Oh, my, my friend Henry uh, uh, grew up in Alaska. That's so funny. Um, <laughs> no, I, I grew up in the Midwest. and okay. um, But I was in uh, – I grew up in Ohio, and I, was, I grew up in the snow belt. So we had a lot of snow. Yeah. And my parents raced sled dogs. And so I grew up with about like 25 huskies. Oh, my God. Yeah, we had. So and I lived on a loud. (laughs) 
They're so loud. You know what? They're actually not at all. Oh, really? Oh. Well, we had we had Alaskan Huskies, which a lot of people are familiar with Siberian Huskies. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, okay. So they make different sounds. Like a Siberian Husky is like a very distinct sound um, that they make. And they sound actually very similar to Chewbacca. I think like George Lucas used Husky <laughs> sounds when designing Chewbacca's voice. But um, uh so we had, I grew up on a farm, then, you know, we had a lot of land. And so um, there was a whole area that was for the dogs. And I was the one who was in charge of taking care of them. And I had my first race when I was 18 months old. So my parents just like placed me in the basket of the sled with one oh, wow. dog and just, I took off and I won. Um, but uh, I just kept racing basically until I went to college because I just couldn't keep doing it. Um And uh, then it became sort of a retirement home for the dogs. But we raced in Pennsylvania and Michigan and Canada. And I never made it to Alaska. But I did befriend the first woman who won the Iditarod. And yeah, we were pen pals when I was growing up. And I just recently reconnected with her on Facebook. So she's like a total icon of my like I adore her. And she's so inspirational to me. And um, she happened to win the year I was born. So that's when she won, and she was the first woman to to win. So there was like, there's a lot of cool connections. What was her that name? Have. Her name's Libby Riddles. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I do remember that. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, the moment I I saw your tweet, I all of a sudden like it, it was such a huge thing in Alaska growing up there. Uh, and like I I always remember in school singing the I did a hot song. Oh <laughs> so, like, yeah. The I did, I did, I did the Iditarod Trail. So like that song that came in my head immediately when I saw that. And I was like, oh my gosh, if I ever talk to her, I'm going to have to ask. (laughs) Yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, it's something that doesn't really come up that often. And, you know, so, but it is something where someone once asked me if I couldn't um, make movies, what I would do. And I said I would probably pursue that full, like racing again full time and maybe do the Iditarod or something like that. That's awesome. If I couldn't couldn't make movies. (laughs) So that's, and I do, I miss it occasionally. You know, it's a lot of work and taking care of the dogs is a full-time job. And the only right. time we, they really made any noise was like when I was about to feed them, they'd get really excited. Yeah. And then right when they finished eating, like after I like, you know, cleaned up their bowls and all of that, I went back in the house and all, they would collectively howl. <laughs> so you'd all of a sudden hear like 25 dogs howling together. Oh, that's so creepy. And I would sneak out really quietly to watch them. And right when I would get close, they'd stop. It's like they knew I was watching <laughs> and like didn't want to. Yeah, it was crazy. They would never do it when we were like standing there. It was like their own private thing. But it was a very like magical moment. And there's no better feeling than like being on a sled, racing through the middle of your woods, uh, and the only sound you hear is like with tons of snow, it's snowing. And the only sound you hear is like the dogs, like their feet running in the snow and they're like light pant as they run. And it's just, um, I can't even like fully articulate how magical that is. Um, but it is something I miss from my childhood and I miss, I miss the dogs and um, they all lived to be like 20 years old. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> they all lived very long, happy lives. That's awesome. Yeah, well, when you when you live on like organic food and ground chicken and all this fancy, <laughs> that's true. And like you know, you're running, you're like constantly running and getting exercise. Yeah, they're athletes and they love to run. It's like what they are made to do. So they love, love, love it. But anyways, that's just a little unknown fact about me. That's <laughs> so thank you for cool. asking. That's amazing. I just had to know. <laughs> uh, so we talked. Well, you said you said if you weren't making movies, 
you would raise sled dogs, but we're so glad you make movies. <laughs> um, so um, when and how did you get first introduced to the horror genre? Um, I think my first introduction was probably through literature. Okay. So um, growing up reading um, Goosebumps and Scary Stories yeah. to Tell in the Dark and Benicula, like the Benicula oh series. Oh my gosh, Benicula. Benicula. Yeah, yeah. So that's probably... Um, where it first, where I was first like intrigued by it. Okay. And then um, Halloween was a really big deal in my family. And so okay. uh, my parents had a huge party every year and, you know, did their own makeup and their own costumes. They're both, both my mom and my dad are artists. So they would have these epic Halloween parties. And oh, wow. because we lived on a farm, we had a pumpkin patch. And so yes. we, would, we would grow pumpkins oh, and carve them. And so. What an idyllic childhood. Just- <laughs> it was. I mean, just from that description, I just, it sounds I very, very fun. <laughs> it was magical. Um, and because of that, I would, I would watch, I was like really into like, it's the great pumpkin, Charlie Brown and legend of sleepy hollow mm-hmm. and the like, um, uh, Mickey mouse and Donald duck, like Halloween cartoons that would mm. play on TV. So I would rent those and watch those. And so as, and as I got older, I just kept graduating to different things. So you know, my dad and I would have this ritual of sitting down the night before a party, carving pumpkins and watching Dracula, the like 1931 Bela oh, yes. Lugosi. Oh, cool. Yeah. And Frankenstein and the Wolfman and, and, and all of that. It's all the universal monster movies. So we sort of did that. And then as I got older, um, he showed me uh, uh, Night of the Living Dead. The, oh, jeez. The, the George Romero. So that's sort of, I was like, wow, that movie had such a big impact on me. Um, that I was like, this is terrifying. Holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I wanted to keep seeking out that genre. And I just really enjoyed watching those movies, like, and all the, which we will get into later, but there were so many kids, quote unquote, horror movies, Mm. um, that I loved growing up. And those were sort of things my mom and I watched, which were, what the watcher in the woods and the witches and bed knobs and broomsticks okay and so this sort of like hocus pocus or the sort of witchy stuff and uh and i just kept as i got older you know my dad would show me the fly or the oh, exorcist wow. yeah. or alien or things and then he'd tell me about when he first saw them in the theater and what that experience was like um and I just grew up in a house that loved cinema. So we would always, you know, rent movies from the library. We'd come home with a stack on the weekend. And then my dad was just always trying to give me like a cinema education. So and it was all different genres of film. So, That's so cool. That's amazing. And I just wanted to make movies probably because I was just obsessed with watching movies. I yeah. just loved how what and, and because I, I grew up like in a very rural part of the Midwest. So, you know the no one no one no one around to really like play with I was an only child so it's like movies were a big part of my entertainment and all the like pets I had growing up so (laughs) that was kind of a similar thing for me living uh growing up in Alaska like I I lived there um I think from when I was maybe three or four until uh, the end of fifth grade we lived there so like it you know it when you were up there a lot of people would be uh moving there from from the military and whatnot so like friends would come and go and i was always an introvert so like movies were always for me like the big thing that i would i would gravitate to and so that that's i i can completely understand my household was definitely a universal horror uh like the old draculas and frankensteins that was that's a good education for 
for horror. Totally. And I loved it so much. And then, and Hitchcock and there, you know, there was so much I saw. And I remember seeing like, before I even went to college, I had seen the whole AFI list of movies. Oh, wow. Um, oh my God. That's yeah, so impressive. <laughs> and I should, cause I watched a lot of, it makes me sound like I didn't do anything, but I watched, a, I just watched a lot of movies. And, yeah. and I just was always, and I, and I grew up in a household that um, my dad, he had gone to film school Okay. Along with he's a, he's a fine artist, but he had also gone to film school, and so he had made movies on Super Eight and oh, sixteen cool. millimeters. So I was able to able to watch those because we had a projector, and he had all sorts of old movies on car- and cartoons on Super Eight oh my that we God. could watch. And so because that influenced me, and then I grew up, of course, in a household that had a you know had a camcorder. Like you know, yeah. my entire childhood mm-hmm. is like documented on on VHS tape. So that inspired me to start picking up a camera and start shooting stuff. And then I, when I was in high school, I was asking, Hey, can I do a film instead of a paper? Like, can I oh my God, do a short film like for an assignment? And they're like, no one's ever asked that before. Sure. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And then the, of course I made the decision to uh, go to film school. And before, while I was still in high school, I shot stuff. I got a super eight camera and shot stuff on super eight and did like cut and splice editing. Um, and then went to film school for four years. I was the only one that wanted to do horror. And the film school's like, we don't, we don't, we, we want you to be making like art movies and starve in a <laughs> right. basement in New York. Oh was my sort God. of the mentality. And uh, now, of course, they're like really excited about my success. But <laughs> of course, <laughs> like, oh my gosh, please come speak to our students. Like, uh-huh. please come yep. back. <laughs> um, exactly. But, uh, you know, I got to shoot on film there as well, even though digital was already happening. Um, yeah. And then I just always gravitated towards weird movies. I remember like I did my senior thesis and it was very much inspired by John Waters and Todd Solis and Harmony Corinne and David Lynch and like. Oh, you know, wow. Weird. I liked the weird. So, and of course, as a daughter that. of artists, no one was surprised. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then I moved, like, right after graduation, I moved to LA. So it was all. Wow. Wow. Happened very uh, quickly. <laughs> It is really interesting because like, I just um, went to grad school for film studies, like, so basically write, not making movies, but writing about them. Yeah. And not a lot of people want to talk about horror. It's fascinating. Like, most people want to talk about avant-garde movies or, like, I don't know. They just, like, horror was not something that was considered academic as much, which is yeah. really interesting to me because I feel like there's so there is so much writing about it, but, like, where I was, people were kind of taken aback by the idea of writing about horror and analyzing it. So it's, it is weird, like, the way people think about it. And I think that's changing. I, I don't know what... I can't quite pinpoint like what happened within like where it sort of took a turn. I know a lot of people say the eighties with like <clears throat> the slasher genre and yeah. getting all these sequels and it being like a body count and all that. But um, you know, there was, there's so many things that horror movies have to say. And that's something that I don't yes. think a lot of people paid attention to. And there are people out there that say, Oh, I can't watch horror movies. And I go up to them and I'm like, do you understand the how much amazing cinema you are missing because yeah, you are exactly. being so ignorant and <laughs> and it's so frustrating. And so also yeah. when people say that, I say, oh, have you seen Alien? Yeah. Have you seen The Exorcist? Oh, yeah. Have you seen Silence of the Lambs? Yeah. I'm like, okay, well, well, those are fucking well, horror what? movies. Yeah, those are yeah. horror movies. Yeah, exactly. And they're like, oh, well, you know, I was like, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. That, that, that's what they are. And... <laughs> 
or the thing or whatever. And so it's so frustrating that, and I said, oh, so you'll go see some, you know, documentary that's incredibly depressing, um, (laughs) but you won't see a horror movie that, wait a second, like, yeah, in terms of, oh, I don't like to feel, feel that way, or I don't like to be scared. And for me, it's super cathartic. And and thinking about, you know, I think it was the Wes Craven's quote that that horror doesn't create fear, it releases it. Yes. And I think a lot of people don't um, don't realize that. And and I get it. Like sometimes people just don't like to be scared. But not all not all of horror movies are like that. Like, so that's yeah. what I, I think people or they say, oh, I don't like, you know, torture porn always comes up. And, I, right. and I'm like, well, actually, some of those movies are saying something. That, and you're you're not even paying attention to what that might be, but I understand you don't want to subject yourself to something totally cool. I don't like to sub- subject myself to romantic comedies, um, <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> that's scarier to me than horror movies. But <laughs> no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But um, <laughs> but that's it's just it bums me out that people are just uh, that they won't even. I'm just, you're just missing great storytelling, and you're missing really powerful. These movies have a lot to say, and you're missing out on that, and that and that bums me out sometimes. Well, it's also a very elastic genre because you can like it can yes. dip into everything. It can dip into science fiction. It can dip into fantasy, comedy, drama, romance. Like it can be so many different subjects. It just it's it's frustrating when people are just like. Uh, kind of kick it to the curb. And I, I went, there was a moment when I was in my early 20s when I thought I wanted to be like a screenwriter living in Nebraska. And uh, um, I went to this class and it was taught by Lou Hunter, who I guess graduated oh, yeah. from UCLA or whatever. And I went there with with a script to work on for a horror thing. And he, I, was, I was 20, 21 when I went there. And he's like, I really want you to write a boy and his dog story. And I was like, but that doesn't oh. interest me. And but he he was um he was he was really nice but he was very dismissive of of me wanting to to write my my horror script. Boy and um, his dog, what an interesting. Well, yeah, right. <laughs> and it's like it's so uh yeah it's really it's it's interesting to me the and the other thing about the horror genre is it's the only genre of fi- of film that has a built in community and that there mm-hmm. are fans of it. And I'm like, why don't you, why wouldn't you want to be a part of that? Like if, if you, if you, you know, genuinely dig the genre, but that, and there's festivals, conventions, events dedicated to this genre. It's and a, there's, yeah. there's probably more merchandise for horror movies than any other movie, like, right. or movie genre that, that that's, it's just, and I'm so honored to be, uh, a part of that genre and honestly like one of the best things that I've been that's been said to me is I had people come up to me after seeing Satanic Panic and they said yeah you know I didn't think I liked horror movies and I didn't ever think that's something I would like but after seeing your movie I think I want to watch more horror movies oh my god yeah that's, amazing. <laughs> that's such an amazing co- I feel like that's like the biggest compliment I like any like horror director could ever receive is like you make me want to watch horror movies and you're like oh my god <laughs> Yeah, because I don't think everyone realizes, like you were saying, like the how many different subgenres there are of horror. And yeah. I can guarantee there's one out there for you. So it's like. Right. And I and I don't think people realize that. So hearing that and I've heard it multiple times. It was like the greatest thing ever. I felt like I was doing a little service to the horror genre. <laughs> That's so cool. And like, so actually, um, 
you so I really love Titanic Panic because I really like slashers and ta- and like kind of subversions of the final girl, which I mean this yeah. movie basically is that. And I was just like wondering what the thought process was with that movie, and did you really want to take on the slasher and the final girl with this with with Titanic Panic and like what you wanted to kind of tackle yeah. in terms of existing horror tropes and horror subgenres. Um. Yeah. So one of the things when I first read Grady's script, and- yeah a huge fan of his books um he's so cool yeah that talk about someone i was like very nervous to give script notes to um (laughs) and i felt when i read it i was like whoa there's a lot there's a lot hap there's a lot in this script and also i was like there were a couple things that immediately stuck out um the commentary it was making on classism um yeah which is something that spoke to me and something i had touched upon on my first movie as well so there was that. And then um, I was reading it and I thought, I don't remember the last movie I saw that had so many powerful women, both good and evil. And the yes. entire mm-hmm. movie is women and the men take a total backseat or they're super toxic. Um, the men right. actually in the movie are very toxic when you think about it. But um, I was really fascinated by that. And I and I loved um, Sam, the character that Haley Griffith plays, and yes. Judy, Ruby Modine's character, and their relationship throughout the movie. And that's something, and everything I do, I'm always looking at, you know, powerful female characters. Mm-hmm. And um, just because they're strong and powerful does not mean that they're not flawed. So mm-hmm. I wanted to explore the flaws too, because all of us are, no one is perfect. So there was just so many layers to the script. And I, I was like, oh, my God, this is a satanic cult run by women. And I just, I just felt like it wasn't really something I'd seen before. And I really wanted to, to, to tackle that and take that on. So those are the things that sort of spoke to me when I initially read it. And, of course, like knowing Fangoria was behind it was um, also something I was like, oh, yes, they're back. I'd love to be a part of that. Um, I'm so and- glad they're back. Yeah, right. It's it's pretty cool. And the magazine is like so beautiful. And uh, I was excited to be the first original Fangoria movie. Obviously, Puppet Master um, is a franchise already. So to be the first original one was really cool. And and getting to bring Grady's script and Ted Gagan's and their story to life was really uh, awesome as well. Yeah. And I really enjoyed that. Um, the aspect of like the class, the, the, the class deconstruction, not, well, not deconstruction, but the commentary, because that always that's really struck me and made me think a lot about how like you know in slasher movies it's always this kind of male monster who it is a, a monster like it's a bad guy or a killer but in this it's like the one percent and like wealth is also the monster and yes. it is a really interesting take on that genre and weaving in like really like so many important things about gender and and economics while also being really funny and really entertaining and I was just so taken aback by how it, the film balances so many things so well and how fun it was so oh yeah. thank you well the, the biggest my, my goal with the movie was I wanted to make something that would be really fun for the viewer um we have, we yeah. have a lot of there's a lot of nihilistic horror out there there's a lot of really fun yeah. horror too but I wanted to make something that you would have fun watching and I'm all about like making things I want to see and I was like I would have like my, my goal for the movie, um, and I've talked about this a little bit before, but um, my dream is for, you know, a group of teenage girls to rent it 
for a sleepover and watch it and be inspired to make movies like that. That's my goal for it. And I hope yeah. it can do that. And because I would love to. And of course, uh, you can see all the inspirations in it. It's very clear that it's a huge homage to Jennifer's body and mm-hmm. and drag me to hell and society and race with the devil. I also I also tend to pair it with House of the Devil. Oh, interesting. It's sort yeah. of the opposite side of the coin because it, there's a, mm-hmm. so many interesting. If you watch, I just I did a double uh, feature of Satanic Panic and House of the Devil at the Alamo Draft House in Houston, and hell yeah. it, was, it was the 10 year anniversary of House of the Devil last year. And um, AJ Bowen is in both of those movies. It was the first time I'd seen AJ Bowen in a movie when I saw House of the Devil. Oh wow! But the lead character's name is Sam. And oh, yeah. she, oh my God. yeah, her name is jo- Jocelyn Donahue's name, Sam. She orders their pizzas involved. There's like a yes. bunch of things. Wow. Inter- I didn't even think about that. I didn't yeah. Like all the weird parallels. Yeah. I highly, it's sort of like Satanic Panic's the alternate dimension of House <laughs> of the Devil, but I highly recommend watching the two back to back or pairing Satanic Panic with Ready or Not and watching those back to back. So cool. Um, oh, 100%. Yeah. I actually... It's like, sorry, shameless plug. I wrote an article for Bitch Mag um, about Ready or Not and Satanic Panic as like the new, again, ushering a new version of the slasher film where the 1% is the evil, not the mon, like our monsters, not like supernatural beings. Oh my goodness. Please send this to me so uh, I can read it. (laughs) Sorry, shameless plug, but like, it's just like, I've been thinking a lot about that in this movie for the past couple of months. So, Oh my God, please. That's awesome. I'm so glad that someone, you know, has, has brought that up. So that's, that's great. Yeah, of course. And, And watching Haley and Ruby work together was pretty magical. So I'm, I'm. I'm so glad that you saw how uh, the f- that the fun comes through. <laughs> it definitely does. I was laughing from like from the very beginning. Good. So, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to ask about those two because they have such chemistry together. How I, I'm so glad that. How did you find Haley? She's she's a phenomenal in this. She's a star, man. She's <sighs> so good. I know she is a superstar. Well, I'm gonna take 100 full credit for the two of them being best friends. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> so Ruby, I think, was the first person cast. Um, and I knew of her from my days at Blumhouse through like the Happy Death Day movies. Yes. And, um, so good in those. Yeah. And, and she, and of course, Shameless, and um, she's an incredible actress. And I met with her and I immediately loved her. She had, she had such amazing energy. And when it came to Sam's character, <clears throat> so when I came aboard the film, they had already done some preliminary casting with before a director was attached and so I was going through well I was seeing a ton of auditions in person um people coming in to rehearse to audition and then I was going through all these old tapes of people that had auditioned before I came aboard and Haley's was one of them and I watched it and I was like who is this she's really good and I looked her up and she had done a couple guest spots on tv and I looked at her reel and I and I she just kept sticking in the back of my mind and I met I, with tons of fantastic actresses but I kept going back to her and so I, I talked to the producers and I was like listen luckily horror gives you a little wiggle room with casting quote-unquote unknown talent but mm-hmm. I know there's when you deal with distribution and all of that that there's some complications that can arise from that and I just I said listen I don't know this girl at all but this audition is incredible and I believe that she could carry this movie. And so they said, you should set up a Skype with her. And I Skyped with her and talked about it. And then after that, I knew, I was like, I, I want to offer her the role. <clears throat> and the producer said yes, which doesn't always happen. And they're like, <laughs> okay, sure, cast her. 
And so um, I think she posted a photo when she got the part and she said she just sobbed because it was her first feature mm-hmm. and was just so. And of course, like her and I became best friends. When she met Ruby, they became best friends. Oh. And watching them, their friendship grow on screen and off was very, was very magical. So it was pretty is pretty awesome, but she's a star. She was in, um, she was just in the loudest voice, the Russell Crowe, um, <clears throat> Roger Ailes movie that Blumhouse oh, did. Right. She's in that. Um, and, uh, I think she has a couple other movies coming out that she's been in since then. And she's been auditioning. I hope to cast her and Ruby. Um, and also Aurora from my first movie, like, and Israel, like I want to keep working with these incredible, uh, actors. I'm just very, lucky it's sort of an embarrassment of riches with talent in both satanic panic and all that we destroy speaking of israel it was so weird watching him in all that we destroy because he was so lovable in the two happy death day <laughs> movies like i was so in, in charmed by him and then to see him go from that to this uh like serial killer in training um was was quite a was quite a shock (laughs) yeah that's 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 you know it's funny that's one of the reasons we cast him in that role there's something about him you know that that character in all that we destroy who is a horrible person (laughs) um is a serial killer uh something that i was really intrigued by with israel is he reminded me so much of norman bates and anthony perkins Mm. and i thought in this movie, it obviously all that we destroy is a huge homage to to um, to Psycho. Oh yeah. I was like, you know, the, Anthony Perkins, he, he has such charm as Norman Bates, and you want to like him. There's something a little off with him. You you kind of know from the start, but he's so sweet and so charming and so cute that you want to yes. like him. And I wanted the audience to hate themselves for liking him. It, exactly. And it was it was so weird. Like um, I was actually rooting for his relationship with um, yeah, with Dora yeah. Madison's character. I was like, oh, I want them to be together, even though I'm knowing no, stay away, stay away. Yeah, it's and he had never done a role like that, obviously. And so mm-hmm. um, I also just you know, there's the so some super disturbing parts when he's like direct to camera killing. Um, the Ashley character mm-hmm. that he looks really scary and. Yes. When I showed him in Aurora the movie, he's like, "That, how is that me? Like, he was right. genu- oh, genuinely, God. like, disturbed by it. <laughs> and I said, dude, this is, you know, this is what you can do. And even I was talking to Chris Landon. Um, we went out to lunch. And he was like, after, after I screened All That We Destroy. And he's like, oh, my God, seeing Iz in that role, like, wow, that's crazy to see him, so, so this darkness come out. I was like, yeah, it shows what a good actor he is. Like, he can, yeah. you know do the dark stuff too he's not just like cute best friend lovable boyfriend um and but you know that stuff i think that you know where i I think as a director you have to think about where actors have to go emotionally sometimes to get to that dark place and it's Mm -hmm. sort of like how how long can you keep them there like morally (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so yeah. um can you keep that in there because then they have to also then after the scene's done try to get out of that and that can be really hard so um I, I have such great respect for actors i love working with them it's one of my favorite parts of the process um and i've been very lucky to work with such incredible talent that's awesome yeah wow how how did all that we destroy come about i know it was uh was co-written by um jim agnew and sean keller who our listeners know wrote our killer theme song 
But um, how did that how did that come about? Was it always a, a Hulu um, episode or was it pitched as like a feature film or? Uh, yeah. So basically, Sean and Jim wrote the script specifically for me and mine to direct it. And um, yeah, and Sean and I had collaborated before. Um, Sean and Jim had written some shorts for me and we had worked together in the past. And so they wrote it with me in mind. So I got to collaborate with them from the beginning on the script. So I got to give notes. I got to talk about characters, all of that stuff, develop it with them. And oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, which is such a treat for <laughs> for a director to be able to do yeah. with writers. Then we were going to send, you know, send it out to a couple places and I um so so to to back up for a, a hot minute. So I had my my past is being an assistant as you said in the introduction. Um and I'd worked for a bunch of producers, Ivan Reitman, Judd Apatow, Jason Blum, and I'd been working for Jason for four years. Right when I left, my friend Ryan Turk started working there. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, helped, Ryan Turk. Helped him get that job there. I was like, what better person to work at Blumhouse than like the, the king of horror? Yeah, yeah. It was, that was perfect. Uh, that's a perfect job for him. I was yeah. so happy to see them get that. Yeah. And so and I told Jason, I was like, there's no better person to have working at this company than Ryan. Like you have to hire him. And so Ryan and I, because we're really close friends, we just kept talking after I'd left Blumhouse. I was still assisting like other directors here and there to make money while shooting short films. And I just kept sending him things I was attached to. And for Blumhouse's consideration, pass, Mm -hmm. pass, Mm -hmm. pass. And so when All That We Destroy came around, um, we were about to send it to a couple places and I had mentioned it in passing to Ryan. And he's like, wait a second. What is that? And I, because <laughs> I sort of gave him the elevator pitch and he said, I want to read that. And so I sent it to him and he said, Chelsea, this is the one. We want to make this with you. Oh my God. That's awesome. Yeah. And so within him saying yes, I think it was maybe four months before we were like casting and shooting. Um, wow. It was a very quick, if I remember correctly, it was a very fast turnaround for all of that to happen. So. I know that sounds crazy, like the first place we send it to say yes, because that never happens. But um, we just started making it. And then I guess somewhere along the lines of when it was in post, the TV department saw it at Blumhouse. And they said, and they had just just finished the Into the Dark deal. And they're like, how can this be part of our Into the Dark series? And because it fit, they're like, this fits so well with Mother's Day. It's like a very fucked up mother's day story (laughs) yes but i was like okay well when you think about the options for a movie i was like okay well my first feature to be on to have blumhouse's name on it to have hulu behind it like what seven eight million people subscribe to hulu something insane like that that many people will see my movie that many people aren't going to see my movie through a film through film festivals like that that's insane so I thought, you know, that's uh, a great place for this. And the fact that it could kind of be part of a series too, though it's a feature, I was like, yeah, let's do it. You know, we the, the thing was, is the film was already shot. <laughs> so there was only so many like <laughs> oh, notes yeah. we could do. But um, Hulu had some great feedback and, you know, we were able to, to execute some of their notes. And it, it it's a script where I was able to shoot every single scene of the movie Almost every single scene is in the movie. It's like my vision of when I read the script and even Sean and Jim said it's like to to them the best adaptation of their work. Like they're the most happy with that. Granted, they're very happy to have worked with like John Carpenter and Dario Argento and and Nick Cage (laughs) and all that stuff. But they said this is 
the truest from script to screen of any of our um, of any of our projects. And it's crazy because it premiered on Hulu in May of last year of twenty nineteen. Was that twenty nineteen? Yeah, yeah. twenty nineteen. Yeah. <laughs> and then all that we and then Satanic Panic premiered at Overlook at the end of May of twenty nineteen. Yeah, how crazy that your two features come out so quickly to are so quick to each other. And they couldn't have been more different. That was the other right. thing. Um, yeah, for sure. I, I really wanted to, that's one of the things with like my work, I really want to show that I'm not just a horror comedy person. I'm not just a science fiction thriller director. Like I, I want to be able to doing, to, I want to be able to do all different subgenres of horror and potentially other genres. So I was really happy that like both came out and they're two tonally completely different from each other. So they're sort of, depending on what I'm, going out for in terms of other projects i'm like okay is should i show this production company destroy or should i show them satanic panic like what's the better one to show to get the job <laughs> i mean yeah that that's an awesome way to start out because like i i was thinking i was yeah. i rewatched them this this week and i it amazed me just how how different not only like tonally but just how differently they look so that i i think that's that's such a great a built calling card for for future work because they're just so different and that's something that my you know dp and i developed from the start the look of the film of both mm-hmm. films and that's something we worked sort of very hard at they have they have very distinct um looks to them and the visual style is very different so um glad you see that <laughs> <laughs> and speaking about future projects what is um you know if you had to choose one horror subgenre or trope to tackle in the future what would you want to what would you want to do? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, God, there's so many. Cause I love, I love body horror. Mm. Um, that's yeah. something, yeah, that's something I wouldn't mind exploring a little bit. Um, cool. that, that's sort of what is what immediately comes to mind without thinking too hard about it. But, uh, and Hell you know, yeah. and even though I did serial killer stuff with all that we destroy, that's something that genuinely fascinates me, but I want to see the, uh, uh, female serial killer. Oh, story yeah. yes. Oh, I love female serial killer stories. Like, I just think they're so fascinating yeah. because serial killers like are so, you know, historically, it's very, they're all very male. And I don't yeah. feel like there's a lot of serial killer movies about women. And I just would love I would that'd be so cool. Yeah. So that's something that's uh, intrigued me. Um, and uh, there's a couple things in the works that I'm very of course, and they don't let you talk about anything here until it's, until basically you've wrapped production. <laughs> but um, but uh, there's things that I hope will come to life this year um, if all goes plan- to plan. And uh, I'm very excited about them. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, that's all I can really say. But I Fair. really like fingers crossed it all uh, <laughs> it all comes together. And I'm very excited yeah. to share those those stories with the world. Cool. Oh, so are we. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we'll see. So that might be a good place to transition to what we've we've seen recently. Oh, uh, yeah. What, have you seen anything recently, Mary Beth, that you want to talk about? So I've been like slacking on my movie viewing <laughs> at the beginning of the year. I've been like very sluggish. But one thing I have been doing is revisiting um, the Castlevania animated series on Netflix. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, and I tweeted the other day, hot take, it's one of the best pieces of television of the decade. Of uh, the decade. Love that. It, it's my, I mean, I also like have an obsession with vampires. I absolutely love vampire <laughs> media. I mean, 
I talk about it all the time. So this was just like, and it's a video game adaptation and video game adaptations are notoriously trash. And especially because Castlevania is like a weird kind of video game that has a narrative, but it's not really like, it's more of like a, like a rogue, not a roguelike, sort of roguelike game. But this show is so beautifully animated and it's such, it's like, so it gets me so emotionally invested in a story that is based off a video game. And, um, Steve and I are rewatching it because we were like, wow, that show is so fucking good. It's really so, good. It's a good it's just, video game adaptation, too. It's it's so good. Yeah, I really I really dig it. Um, I, I only watched the first season. I need to get into the second. Oh, the second season is devastating. Is it really? <laughs> like emotionally, like it's good. Yeah. It's just like sad, but it's really good. And like the episodes are less than 30 minutes and there's usually only like right. six to eight episodes a season. So it's like it's super quick, easy to watch in like a couple hours. Yeah. So that's what I have been watching. What about you, Terry? That's awesome. Well, by the time this is out, I will have hopefully had a bunch of reviews from uh, Panic Festival um, in Kansas City. Uh, posted. Hell yeah. But Hell yeah. Um, I've been going through a bunch of um, advanced screeners that they sent me. And one of the ones I've, I just watched that I was surprised how much I enjoyed was James versus his future self. Oh, Ooh, that's a fun title. It's um, kind of a romantic comedy wrapped up in science fiction time travel where like it's this it's um this phd doctor of of some kind of science field and he has a a friend a female friend who's played by uh cleopatra coleman who i i saw last year in um the now apocalypse series on stars and Mm -hmm. she is so good she just has so much chemistry i love she's so magnetic on screen i i hope she like gets cast in everything and so they're both doctors and they kind of have that friend zone relationship going where like he's sort of um, so wrapped up in trying to solve the idea of, of time travel that he doesn't see that, you know, she's perfect for him or whatever. And then his future self shows up from the future, played by Daniel Stern. <gasps> oh, my God. <laughs> and he's like, dude, you need to not solve this time travel thing because it's going to make you alone it's going to make you sad you're going to lose all of your friends and you need to stop or i'm going to stop you and so he kind of gives him this ultimatum to like change by the end of the week otherwise he's going to like take matters into his own hand and it's just it's it surprised me at how funny it was um and i'm not a huge romantic comedy fan but i i really it kind of made me a little misty-eyed at the end but it has such a great cast of daniel stern and francis conroy is oh my in god. it oh my god hell yeah sign me up but, yeah, it's uh, it's surprisingly entertaining, and um, I'm I'm hoping that I don't know if it has distribution yet. I think it does, but I, I hope people start to to see it soon because it's it's entertaining as hell. And Daniel Stern is just so funny in it. That's the one that I've been uh, enjoying recently. Have you been seeing, watching, reading anything, Chelsea? Oh my god, so many things. I don't <laughs> I don't know if um if people want to know what I was watching and reading and. Seeing saw in like my favorite stuff um it's all on my social media of 2019 um in 2020 what have I been most recently so um let me think okay so right now I'm reading The Shining Girls oh yeah by Lauren I think it's pronounced Bucus um Bucus, yeah yeah loving that loving loving, so loving that book I have a book club in LA um called the Losers Book Club I love and, that. I love that. Yeah, so we read Stephen King um, every other month, and then the months in between, we read new horror. And Ooh. the month this this month's book is The Shining Girls, and uh, I'm half almost halfway through and loving it. 
uh, recently watched. Uh, oh, so I, uh, a couple friends of mine and I are going back and watching sort of classic movies that are were probably epic back in the day, but today everything's like two and a half to three hours long. So every movie's <laughs> right. an epic now. But we're going back and watching sort of these classic movies that maybe one of us or a couple of us haven't seen. So I recently I recently showed them Doctor Zhivago. Oh, David oh wow! Film. So, you know, we have a list of the next one we're watching is the right stuff because I haven't seen that. So, you know, we're we have a list that we're chipping away at. Um, what else have I watched? I'm showing uh, my partner Sean the Batman, like the Michael Keaton Batman movies, because he does not oh, think that they're God. as great as they actually are. So I'm trying to convince him. Oh, yeah. uh, those first two movies great. are great. Uh, Batman Michael Returns Keaton. is so fucking good. Oh, it's amazing. That it, it's so good. So. Um, we just watched the first one. We're going to probably do Batman Returns this week. So and dark. I, I got to say, like, you know, I'm going to lose all my fans when I say this, but I am a huge, I am a fan of Batman Forever and Batman and Robin just because they're like comfort <laughs> films to me. Because yeah. I watched them a lot when I was younger. So Respect. They're, Respect. they're not, they're not great, but <laughs> they're not, I fully understand. I fully get that they're not great movies, but there's something. Hey, all, I'm all about the Batman. Yeah. I just I just watched Married to the Mob because I'm a huge Jonathan Demme fan. Oh, last night I watched 47 Meters Down Uncaged. Oh, that was a that's a riot. When you were talking about aquatic horror, I'm a huge fan of anything involving sharks, alligators, yes, crocodiles, and snakes. So every movie that falls under that category, I seek out and watch. And I hadn't seen that yet. Very much enjoyed it. Um, TV show wise, I just finished The Watchmen before the new year or Watchmen. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. What a good show. I binged it because I couldn't stop watching. It was so good. Yep. And I, I, I actually barely remember the, the feature. The last time I saw it was when it came out in the theaters and I haven't seen, seen it since. And so I had to sort of remember, um, my partner had to remind me of, of everything that had happened to refresh me. But it made me want to read the the graphic novel. So you haven't read it. I haven't read it, and so I. Oh yeah, definitely check it out. It's awesome. Yeah, I'm, it, I'm, it's one of my favorite like books of all time. Because I want, I just wanted to know more about the world. So I'm hoping yeah. to finish Shining Girls and and tackle that. Um, cool. And then other sh- like I'm always watching a ton of stuff at the same time. It makes me sound like a crazy person. And <laughs> the things I'm I need to see what we what we do in the shadows. That's like the next show I want to binge through. Yeah. But I'm simultaneously watching. And of course, as someone who just said that they didn't like watch a lot of comedy stuff, I'm so full of shit. Um, <laughs> I'm simultaneously watching Crash, Crashing, the Phoebe Waller. Uh, oh my Phoebe god, that is show. such a good show! Loving it. I was so sad that it only got one season. Yeah, super bummed about that. I have one episode left, but I'm loving that. I'm in the middle of the new season of Easy, the Joe Swanberg show. Oh yeah. And oh god. I know. So- <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. And then uh, I'm so I, impressed. I, <laughs> And then I just started watching Pose. Oh, Pose. Oh, my God, Pose. The first season is so good. Second season. Uh. I haven't watched the second season yet because of what you reviewed. Like, Terry, when you reviewed it, I was like, I don't want to ruin the first season for me because the first season is yeah, so good. Yeah, it's so good. Joe Lipset and I did a, a recap of each episode last summer, and it's it's kind of a hit or miss uh, season for me. But the first season is so just so fucking oh. good. I'm loving. I've just watched the first two, and I'm loving it. And uh, I also just started East Siders too. So, oh. 
Yeah, yes. I have a lot of people who work on that show. I was like, I got to get my shit together and watch it. And I just started <laughs> and I'm loving that. Um, We're hopefully talking to Bria Grant um, soon. I oh, she's wonderful. She's in my book club. <laughs> oh, sweet. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, she's uh, she's a friend and she's uh, awesome. But yes, exactly. Uh, friends with her. And I and I want to make sure I'm supporting everyone's it's um, so good. projects. And I think that's uh, everything. Okay, so we have talked about all we've talked about your career we've talked about what you've been watching recently but now it's time to talk about the movie you brought with you today yes chelsea what movie are we talking about today uh the 1980 disney movie the watcher in the woods this bonkers movie oh my god (laughs) i cannot wait to talk about this movie because i actually had never heard of it so um I'm going to read a quick synopsis for everyone just to get you up to speed. Um, When a family moves to a country home, the young girls experience strange happenings that have a link to an occult event years past. As sisters Jan, played by Lynn Holly Johnson, and Ellie Kyle Kyle Richards uncover the secrets of the Watcher in the Woods, they have to dodge exploding motocross bikes, exploding cars, and drowning via branches in order to right a mistake of the past. So I gotta know <laughs> how old were you when you saw this and and this movie? I just <laughs> wow. <laughs> what 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 um when yeah. did you see this and and um what did you think of it? Yeah, so I oh goodness, let's see. I was probably about maybe eight, nine, ten, somewhere in there. Okay, so I was okay. pretty young. And it's, I remember renting the VHS. It was in this white sort of clamshell. Um, oh, yes. I and it had like Betty Davis's face. And then it had uh, uh, Lynn Holly Johnson and Kyle Richards. They were all on the cover. And mm-hmm. um, my mom and I would watch these movies together. So we watched this and The Witches and Bed Knobs and Broomsticks. And so that's one. And I loved Betty Davis. I like knew who she was. And it's something where I watched it and it, and it gen because I was maybe it's also because I I where I live is so remote and there's woods there and oh, yeah. <laughs> so <clears throat> when I watched it I thought I was like God this movie just from the moment it starts is very creepy and very eerie and I loved the idea of this sort of mystery unfolding and this but also I thought so much of the imagery that this blindfolded girl like reaching out was very scary to me. Yes. And there's a yeah. lot of it when you're that young thinking about watching it. And I have to say, though, I still watch this movie every October. Like, it's on my list cool. of October oh, wow. movies. And I have such a soft spot for it. And um, also, the it wasn't until I was a little bit older that I realized that John Huff, the director, did the Escape and Return to Witch Mountain movies that I loved when I was a kid, too. Oh. Um, and he also okay. directed Legend of Hell House. He did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he, you know, you can kind of see that, those elements in there. And also, you know, I, I don't think it was, it was maybe in the last like three or four years that the house that John Keller lives in is the same house from The Haunting. Yes. Yeah. Yes, didn't, it didn't is. pick up on that until like much later. But Damn, okay. this movie, I just, from the first, and even like rewatching it now, from the moment it starts, like the, those opening credits, you're in the woods, it's dark, there's this score that's very creepy and haunting, but also really has good. the score is so good and it has the these score like, is really good. lullaby notes in it. And Stanley Myers, the composer, did the score for The Witches and The Deer Hunter and like tons of other movies. But that score 
sets the tone so much for like what you're about to see. And also for a kids movie, it's pretty, it's pretty, I think it's rated G. I don't maybe it's PG, but um, it's pretty scary <laughs> for me personally. Yeah, I was going to say like, I watched this and was kind of like laughing at parts of it because I had never seen it before. And obviously like I'm not watching it as a kid, but th- I had to think, I was thinking about it as a Disney movie, like for children, like it was pretty intense. Like it hits a lot of like very intense haunted house themes yes. and like death and trauma and like not getting over the death of a child like it's pretty like emotionally intense for a film that was marketed for children yeah and there's i mean there is a lot of like loud deliveries of things (laughs) from the actors like a lot of like yeah but uh i love uh lynn holly johnson i just got my hair cut like hers in the movie (laughs) Oh my god. Like, wait, that's so funny. I was watching it and I'm like, huh, that's some good haircut inspo. Totally. I, I like she's a hair and fashion icon in the movie. And I literally took a picture of her to my hairdresser and said, I want this forward oh, shag. That's amazing. Oh my god. <laughs> that's amazing. So, amazing. so you were kind of talking about the the images that that's that stuck that stuck out to you. But like, here's the thing. I have never seen this movie until just recently. But as I was watching it, I had such a sense of deja vu in some scenes. Like I had such Ah. vivid memories of Karen dressed in white and blindfolded and reaching out and the car on the bridge that gets struck by lightning or whatever and falling in the gully. And so after I tweeted about watching this and I ended up having a conversation with Rob Dean, who's um, on Twitter is neurotic monkey. And he um, started sending me stuff and he sent me the trailer that Disney put a front in front of a lot of their home releases. And I realized that the trailer terrified me as a kid and I watched the trailer and it brought back all these, these memories because it has all of those, those iconic, iconic moments from the the show, like the, um, when, when she's drowning and the the gully and all of the stuff. And I realized that and, and black cauldron were, were two trailers that were playing before most Disney movies that came out in like the eighties on the VHS. And so every time I'd watch the movie, I would watch those two trailers in front of it. Um, so, that's amazing. Yeah, it's it's in the trailer. Have you guys watched the trailer? Yes. No. It's I've fucking trailer, intense. Yeah. We don't we don't normally like um, include trailers in here, but I think we might for this episode because it actually yeah. it kind of sounds like it, it 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 has that kind of creepy guy's voice. Something happened in these woods. Something that has never been explained, and it's happening again now. The girls in the woods yes. don't know. The oh my god! <laughs> like it sounds like a Friday the Thirteenth or something from that time. Like the adult horror when they would have those trailers of like they don't know the horror in the woods, that kind of thing. You know? <laughs> and I'm yeah. like, this is a fucking Disney movie. <laughs> well, and it was so interesting because like I really like folk horror and cult horror, mm. and it I haven't I I know that like British horror film had a lot to do with that, and it was interesting to see like the influence that this movie either like, both took and had on, like, future folk horror movies. And it, it doesn't, as I feel like it doesn't hit as intensely as other horror movies because it is for children. But right. it really was, like, hitting those beats of, like, yeah. the creepiness of the woods, the blindfolded girl, the really inter- the really weird ceremony. And I was, it's, like, it's cult horror for kids, which is interesting, like, weird. I never would have thought of making a cult folk horror movie for children to consume, <laughs> which is yeah. something. Sure, sure, something. <laughs> And I love this the relationship that the sisters have. And I think there's some yeah. great, still, to me, some great effects in it as well that still hold up. Um, 
And that that mirror gag that happens at the very beginning. Also, this movie wastes no time in getting going. Like they arrive at the house. I love that though. I was like very into like 120 minute runtime. Like they get to the house and immediately shit goes down. I was like, I love this. There is no like dawdling. Nope. They just full speed ahead. Like we see the blue light in the woods, the window cracks, all these things happen. But the mirror gag that where Jan is looking in the mirror and she doesn't see herself. And I remember as a little kid being like, holy shit, that is so scary. And then it and then it cracks and she sees Karen and all that stuff and um, I was like wow this is so cool and then the and then the other effects throughout it I also have like such a me- memory of when I first saw it and when Ellie is writing Narek on the window and then seeing mm, it yeah. without knowing what it means and the reaction that that um, uh, Mary Fleming has when she sees it and so and how this sort of mystery now it does take a little a little bit of time that mystery to for them to put all the pieces together um yes. and i see the glass and the sun with the uh, you know the opaque disc over it like the eclipse right. and it doesn't always happen like it takes a while for them to get there but also seeing like ellie as this conduit for this other being and you know she's looking like possessed writing on mirrors you know speaking as this as she gets possessed listening to the music box and speaking as this entity um, and I don't know how. Can I ask how either of you watched the movie? Um, I watched yeah. on YouTube. There was um, I also watched. Okay. There was a version on YouTube. That was the only way, only so, place I could find it because everywhere I looked would come up with the 2017 Lifetime movie version of it. Mm. Oh so. yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. So the, I have a uh, a DVD of it. That's um, mm-hmm. oh the I'm Anchor sure Bay one. Just, or? Yes, yes. Yeah. And on that disc. Um, are two alternate endings. Yes, I'm oh glad my you're God, talking yes. about this. <laughs> we, yes. we're ta- we've been talking about the alternate endings. Were you guys able to see them? Were you able to find yes, them? Yes, they're, um, yeah, they're, they're on YouTube. I watched them. They guys. had like a 13-minute one on YouTube and like a six-minute yes. one. That's... And a six-minute one, yes. Yeah. Um, guys, that uh, those alternate endings, I got to say, um, first off, if I would have seen that when I was little, <laughs> I would have had nightmares. Like the fact that that... So for for people who haven't seen the the movie, if you're able to get it on, to see it on DVD and or or on YouTube and watch, please watch these alternate endings because there's this um, basically alien demon insect thing with wings that comes from another dimension that looks like a hybrid between like a wasp and the dog, the the crazy dog from Poltergeist, like the the wolf. It does. Wolf. You're right. Yeah. That's what it looks like. And I'll tell you what. I was like, because they they sort of touch upon in the theatrical version that we're, you know, Ellie is speaking, the entity is speaking through her that, you know, I'm from another plane slash planet, basically. And you're like, okay, there's some like weird, maybe uh, alien stuff in here. But, you know, it's just basically touching on that there's another dimension that 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 Karen got sucked into. But this that basically picks Jan up, <laughs> takes her to the dimension. She retrieves Karen. <laughs> Holy shit. I was like, I'm so glad I didn't see that version. I will say that, <laughs> that the theatrical version, their choice, I think, was is fine. I think that was the way to go. <laughs> well, what's what's funny is that when, when this, was, this first came out in 1980, and it was in theater for only 10 days, because the audience and critical reaction was so terrible that Disney pulled it and yes. put Mary Poppins in its place. And it had that <laughs> original like 13 yes. minute ish ending 
And people were like, this is ridiculous. And so they reshot it with a different director. Yes. Oh, wow. And and released the 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 80 minute that um that's on YouTube and I, I think is the the official yes. version of it now. Yeah. Um where like instead of having this interdimensional spaceship diamond weird thing oh my god they have like this being of light and then um ellie gives basically the exposition dump of of all that that kind of happened but the the alternate endings are <laughs> they're ridiculous they're i was insane. like watching this going what the hell <laughs> yeah they're so crazy i was like yeah this, i mean it's disney going way off the rails which i love yes. seeing like i love all the dark disney shit but that i was like yeah that's that's maybe a little too too far i mean if you're unless you're on you know some sort of substance then i'm right think I'd be totally down <laughs> but as a kid i'm really glad that the 89 minute version is is the, the go-to one for everybody i think that was right. the the right choice normally i would be like no you shouldn't if that's this is what the director wants et cetera et cetera um <laughs> i'd be against it but in this situation i was like yeah this this is maybe how the how it should end <laughs> yeah and well it's it's funny because i feel like we, we tweeted about Watcher in the Woods and so many people were like, holy shit, that movie scared me so much as a kid. It still yes. scares me. We got um, an email from someone. Um, her her name is Regina, but her, uh, I don't know how to pronounce her Ignacia Twitter handle. Strata or something like that? Yes, thank you. Um, she sent us this like really, like, really interesting email um, that I'll kind of sum up for everyone. But she talked about how growing up in Western Pennsylvania, um, they grew up basically next to a small patch of woods. And she and a bunch of neighborhood girls made a little clubhouse in those woods out of old pallets and tarps. They would hang out in there and play poker for candy <laughs> at, age, like, at age six, which I think is amazing. Um, she says the woods were dense enough that you couldn't see animals or people approaching until they were basically on top of you. And then they, she also spent time um, with her cousins in upstate New York in the rural house. So basically, she spent a lot of time in the woods, which meant that seeing Watcher in the Woods was a nightmare for her. She says that once we were playing in the clubhouse in the rain, and we had just the right number of kids as the ceremony in the movie. <laughs> oh unfortunately my God. for her, she had lost all of her candy and was blindfolded as a joke because she was the loser. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh. Um, and then she basically thought she was going to vanish like Karen. Lights were flickering through the trees because people were looking for their dogs. No one had fences, so sometimes dogs would run after a squirrel. And it made her think there was a watcher out there prepping for some bullshit. Um, she also refused to swim in, um, or they refused to swim in her family's pond because of the fear of drowning. Um, yeah. This so is basically, amazing. I know. I was like, this is the best email. It's like thing after thing of this movie just made her terrified. And she also like, lived in the woods and it's amazing. And I will say that drowning sequence was really intense. It was. Movie. I was like, oh my God, is she actually going to die in the first like 20 minutes of this film? I was like, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, that's, and having the, and I remember that scene watching it when I was little, because now, of course, you, you can see that there's, like, the pane of glass there that she's, like, pushing at. But I remember um, Betty Davis, like, pushing on, like, with the, she has the stick that she's mm -hmm. trying to push her down yeah. to get her loose. And I was like, oh, my God, she's drowning her, which is, I know, is what right? it looks like. I thought that, that when really I was watching it. Me. Yeah. <laughs> well, and she kind of, like, has that, that, um, that Snow White, uh, the the old kind of witchy look when she's yes, doing that yeah. and it like it is so it's kind of this iconic like she's so intense pushing her down and i'm like what what is going on is she the bad guy <laughs> yeah it's... that's that's 
the thing and well, her- I thought she was the bad guy for a, a while yeah you think that's what you think and also going to like this big house which you think it's going to be a haunted house story and and you meet her and she's like oh I don't want this family here but then she sees Jan and she says okay like let's have them here and she's so intense every time she looks at her mm-hmm. and you don't know where that's going but obviously the ending you know when she gets to see her daughter again and so and you find out that she's there to help and she wants to like communicate with her so bad and even though using ellie to do that isn't the best thing to do um (laughs) she just wants to have her it's just that part of it was so sad yeah that really uh resonated me and i remember reading that i think betty davis had wanted to play her younger self Yes. And they did some some makeup on her to make her look younger, but it didn't look so great. And the director was list like he he basically said, Listen, this isn't gonna work. And then she saw it and she's like, Oh yeah, don't use that. Like, <laughs> like, she's like, No, no, no. <clears throat> don't use that. It's, it's okay. You can cast somebody to play me. When I was when I was doing some research about the, the endings, um, and they had to reshoot that that ending yeah. with where, where she's like standing there looking at her, I was like, Why isn't she running up to her? But that's because they couldn't fly her out to England to reshoot. So she had to like stage her part in the U S while they were filming the rest of it over in, in, in the UK. So the so body crazy. that like walks up to her at the very end is a stunt double because they couldn't get her over couldn't there. Get her crazy. And I think yeah. like the, the alternate ending is the only time you hear them say the watcher like right. that, that cause yeah. that's what comes down. And then you don't, hear that any other place in the movie i also i haven't read and this is something i like i actually just got the book i haven't read the book so i don't know how the the book the watcher in the woods compares to um the movie yeah i don't i don't either i was kind of curious yeah and i found like a vintage copy of it and i was like i have to have this (laughs) (laughs) amazing that's so cool um but just so many things the the score which i know i mentioned before but it's just even like I just rewatched it. I watched it in October, but I rewatched it recently for the podcast. And I was just, God, I wish I could get this score. Like it's so creepy. The whole, just the. T- I think that's yeah. what what initially because it just immediately sets up the the tone and the feel for the movie. Yes. And even the, the at the end with the lullaby, I was like, oh God, this whole the whole time the score is unnerving. Like at no point does it does it let up. Like <laughs> right, it no, immediately it set doesn't. me on edge. Yeah, which I think helps. And granted, it's like I it's tricky when you with movies like this that you're very nostalgic for to see if they still hold up um, this, you know, so many years later after, you know, growing up with them. And for me, this one still holds up. But however, I understand, like, if you were going into this and like if a listener is, you know, seeing this for the first time, might not be as into it. But I think there is, you know, it's it's that, like, it was so, it's interesting to hear you guys say people reaching out and people saying, oh, that movie scared me so much as a kid. I think sometimes we, like, forget about some of those movies. And you having seen, Terry, having seen the trailer and immediately having that response yeah. of, like, oh, my God, I have seen this. And there's still movies that I haven't seen that I know people loved growing up that I'm nervous to see because I'm like, oh, shit, what if it doesn't have, like, that same effect on me that it does on this person but I just always approach everything with an open mind and because every movie out there is someone's favorite movie that they love um but exactly but man this is a great way to put it yeah and this movie I would watch this and the witches together oh good double feature yeah yeah with with my mom and I just loved it 
Um, and now I'm like, maybe I should, I, I'm tempted to go as Karen for Halloween. You one should. Year. Oh my gosh, please. You should, please. That would be amazing. Like the and white post dress. post on Twitter so tight. we can see. That's awesome. That'd be awesome. Yeah, right with the blindfold reaching out. Um, oh my gosh. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. But I'm so glad you guys yes, dug yes. the movie and even though it's it's quite. Uh, it's a trip. It's, it's a trip. It is a trip. And... It is a trip. But I like, I was, I appreciated it mostly because of like how much it reminded me of like the full core and full core history. And I was like, all right, I respect this and how it's like making it for children again, weird, but also like, Hey, kids horror can be just as cool as adult in in like scare quotes. horror. Yeah. And that's why I was really excited when, when you mentioned this, this movie, because like um, I would have loved to talk to witches too, because that is one of my favorites is growing up too. But I, I had always heard people talk about this movie and about how much it affected them. And I had, I had other than the trailer, obviously that I completely apparently like blocked out of my mind, um, <laughs> had never seen this, this movie. And everyone, everyone that has saw it, that saw it when they were a kid was affected by it. And I think that's, that's pretty powerful, especially for a Disney movie that are known for not necessarily scary things. Right. Yeah. I, uh, I agree. I love it. I, if you haven't seen it, seek it out and, and check it out. Awesome. Wow. <laughs> well, thank you, Chelsea, for, for talking about The Watcher in the Woods with us. Uh, where can our listeners find you and what do you have coming up? Yes. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Um, I love talking about this movie, so I'm really glad that you picked it. I know I sent a couple, <laughs> but I was really glad you picked this one. I was like, yes. And I never talk about this movie and I should talk about it more. Even just rewatching it, I went and did like a deep dive online to see if I could find like t-shirts or anything like that. There's, oh nothing. God, There's nothing. There's nothing. I can't find anything That's... like oh. listeners. If oh. you know of any watcher in the woods swag I could wear, uh, please hit me up on Twitter. And that being said, you can find me on Twitter at Stardust Chelsea and on Instagram at Chelsea Stardust. Um, my Facebook is totally private. Don't even try. You'll get rejected. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, those are the best places. and I'm most active on those anyways. So that's the best place to follow me. And what's happening next? Um, well, I'm in the. I'm about to start prepping something that's going to be shooting in April that I can't talk too much about, which mm. sucks. Um, I'm also preparing. God, I don't think I'm allowed to really talk about this either. But I'm preparing a like five episode podcast. Um, Ooh. Yeah, that we're actually I'm recording this weekend. I can't say what it is or who it's for, <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> Uh, so I've been watching, what I will say is, um, I've been watching a slew of horror movies, which include The Howling, Wolfen, American Werewolf in London, The Exorcist, uh, Suspiria, and, uh, Friday the 13th and Halloween. Um, wow. Wow. And I'm just going to say that (laughs) and leave everyone else in mystery that how do these all connect? Um, Mm. (laughs) so, um, that's sort of the next thing happening. And I'm hoping for a really great 2020. And uh, thank you so much for asking me. Um, I'm a huge fan of you guys. And uh, thank you to the listeners out there. Without the fans, horror is nothing. So you are everything. 
So everyone, make sure to follow Chelsea on all the social media to get all the awesome updates and all the amazing things that are coming out this year for her. But you've heard us talk about Witcher in the Woods, but we want to hear from you listeners. What was your experience with this movie? Um, You can send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com, or you can tweet at us at scarredpodcast, and we could feature you on an upcoming episode. You can also talk to Terry and myself on Twitter. I'm at MB McAndrews. And I'm at Gailey Dreadful. And like I said, please feel free to talk to us on Twitter and follow us at Scarred Podcast. And don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe, please. Please, please, please. Um, <laughs> thank you to Steve Barnold for our artwork. Thank you to the badass Sean Keller for our amazing theme song. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, stay creepy. And until next time. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.